0: to tear down this The American people I think is good people. they are they have not to charge with the
1: guilty of all the lies.
2: The Cold War Show, Ray, Episode Ninety Two. I'm here. I'm semi queer, and I don't care who knows. (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, last in the last episode, we uh, talked about the fact that uh, Churchill had decided he wanted to get tough. Uh, Britain said, "Hey, we're pulling out of." Turkey and Greece. Churchill. Fuck. Who did I say? Truman. You meant decided need to get tough.
1: Yeah,
2: Truman. The UK said we're pulling out of Turkey and Greece, uh, and the Americans are trying to figure out uh, how do we <laughs> convince the American people that we need to throw money, right. troops, maybe at shoring up not just Turkey and Greece, but quite frankly, yeah. any country in the world that needs our help, mm. considering we've never done that kind of thing before, because <laughs> we're isolationists.
1: And, and please remember this, that Truman is a conservative Democrat. He is a fiscal uh, conservative. He's the one who was on the subcommittee for appropriations. Uh, he saved $15 billion, which is like, what, two hundred and seventy. Uh, $15 million, which is like $270 million today. He's the one who stumbled across the money that was going for the Manhattan Project and was about to run it to ground because it was millions of dollars. And he went to Stimson, and Stimson said, Look, shut it down. This is for a top secret project. And you need to quit snooping around. And Truman said, Yes, sir. And he quit. But the point is, this guy is conservative, even though he's a Democrat, he certainly wants to balance the budget, and now he is going to break American tradition and to go something go against his own ideals. So this is this is a tricky thing that he's trying to uh to threat here.
2: Mm. And then uh Republican Senator from Michigan, Art Vandele <laughs> from Vandelay Industries told him that he would have to scare the hell out of the American people to get Congress on board, and so scare them he <laughs> did. On March 12, 1947, Truman got up in front of a joint session of Congress mm-hmm. and articulated his foreign policy for a post-war world. Yeah didn't really mention the United, uh, no United, too many Uniteds, the Soviet Union right. by name, mm-hmm. but uh, kind of hinted at the Soviet Union in the speech. He said uh, he, he talked about the threat of totalitarian regimes right. and said that the United States must side with freedom-loving peoples of the world Aww. facing aggression anywhere in the world. Now, the uh, term freedom-loving peoples of the world, Ray, right. I uh, I tried to figure out if Truman was the first person to use that. Was he? Um, I couldn't figure it out. I mean, mm. w- when you go searching for that term, Truman's speech is one of the earliest things that comes up. There was a few hints that maybe it had been used a few years earlier by someone, but I couldn't uh, dig up the, the, the source. Right. But I thought... There's a there's a there's an American politician sounding phrase if yeah. ever I've heard one the freedom loving peoples of the world because h- h- how do you say no to that well don't you don't you want to help the freedom loving peoples of the world well yeah, <laughs> yeah. but oh, okay so, then sign sign here and pay here so I'm going to raise raise money for my next Kickstarter campaign it'll just be. <laughs> Look, if you love the, if you want to support the freedom-loving, what's that got to do with the Christianity documentary? Don't worry about. Don't it. Know. Yeah. It's the freedom-loving peoples of the world that we're uh, supporting Focus here. On Just that. you're either with us or you're against us. You fucking yeah. commie. Um, <laughs> no. Let's see if uh, I get. A, I can play some of his speech because we actually have a recording of it. If you want to hear a little bit of this, yeah. Of course you do. Of course you do. Not all. <coughs> Minutes, it Mr. President, Mr. Speaker,
0: members of the Congress of the United States, the gravity of the situation which confronts the world today necessitates my appearance before a joint session of the Congress. The foreign policy and the national security of this country are involved. One aspect of the present situation, which I present to you at this time for your consideration and decision, concerns Greece and Turkey. The United States has received from the Greek government an urgent appeal for financial and economic assistance. Preliminary reports from the American Economic Mission now in Greece, and reports from the American Ambassador in Greece corroborate the statement of the Greek government that assistance is imperative if Greece is to survive as a free nation.
2: Mm. <laughs> if it is to survive as a free nation run by a king uh, who was only reinstated through British <laughs> military power far right and... Government. Government. And his extreme (laughs) far-right military dictatorship government. Yes.
1: I do want to mention something real quick because sitting around watching Truman make this speech, and this is certainly all to the good for Truman, there's there's a new player on the scene, and it is retired Army Chief of Staff George Marshall, who is now his Secretary of State. Marshall retired from the Army in 1945 uh, for two years, almost two years. He was in China trying to get a peace between the communists and uh, Chiang Kai-shek's nationalists. Obviously, that didn't work, so he comes back. So he's made uh, Secretary of State. So all the all the prestige and all the accomplishments, and he was a five-star general, is now backing Truman with, with, with this policy. So again, this is just another coup for Truman— I mean, he's got to be thinking this really helps me compensate for not, again, being the equal of FDR. He's got some serious heavy hitters on his team now.
2: Yeah, Marshall's a serious man. Yes. So the thing I was thinking while I was uh, listening to Truman's speech, and this is, of course, the Truman Doctrine right. speech, mm-hmm. where Truman said, you know what? It's a new world, boys and girls. Uh, America can't afford just to sit here no. and uh, play with ourselves anymore. <laughs> we we have to get out, get involved in the world yeah, play with other and uh, yeah, play with their bits <laughs> and um wherever wherever we need to. For yeah. as long as it takes, wherever we have to go, yeah. we're going to do it. Wherever the freedom-loving yeah. peoples of the world are being threatened, <laughs> there you shall find us.
1: I don't um yeah. I'm sorry, I was just going to throw yeah. in real quick. I don't think he said this in the speech, but everybody is obviously thinking about this. I mean, look at Poland invaded by Germany and Soviet Russia, and then it gets run over by uh, Russia. It is now being occupied uh, there's threats of uh, other other uh s- nations in uh, Eastern Europe. Romania and Yugos- I think it's Yugoslavia but the point is this has already happened quote quote it might happen again we have to step up we have to break for tradition and yes it's going to cost us a shit ton of money but it's for the freedom loving people of the world
2: so my question is why isn't this the job of the UN Ooh, like how the UN you, has just been <clears throat> the UN has just been set up to, you know, maintain peace and security of the freedom-loving peoples of the world. <laughs> uh, wh- why, why is it? I have an answer. Why did they, why did they set up the UN in 1945? <laughs> and here we are two years later, less than two years later. What? And Truman's going, no, now it's America's right. job. Here's an answer that
1: you're not going to like. So for the, for mm. the foreseeable past well for the immediate past Britain has been pumping money into these two countries so they could suppress their own people. Yes, they were fighting the, the Nazis, good for them, but now they're suppressing their own people who want a, a say in the political uh, aspect of their country. You can't exactly to go to the United Nations and say, we need help, we need arms, we need a regular allotment of shipment of arms and or cash or food or whatever, because uh, we one, we're, we're certainly going to look out for communists, but we're mostly fighting our own people who may or may not want to have a communist party. We're suppressing our own people. Please give us guns. I don't know if that would go over well in the United Nations.
2: Mm. But again, that's kind of the point of the United Nations, right? right. I thought the the reason uh, FDR wanted to establish the United Nations was so countries wouldn't unilaterally go around and start interfering in other countries, they would say, oh, let's sit down with the United Nations and and, and uh, let's discuss this like grown-ups. And uh, then it becomes a global right. discussion and a global decision if intervention is required. But
1: all politics are local. If I'm the king of Greece or I'm the leader in Turkey and I take this to the UN and they suddenly find out that at least 51% of my people don't want me in charge, I mean i 'm not helping myself i'm i 'm helping my country, and i don 't want to help my country. I want to help myself did i might not, not make that clear i'm a king, and I would really like to stay in stay in power This is good for me. This is a good look for me
2: yeah okay, but i 'm not thinking about the king i'm thinking about the Americans truman ah okay okay, you set up the u n right to to, to uh, play an active role yeah. in moderating uh, global geopolitical affairs, and now you're going, yeah, but we're going to do it directly. Yeah. Bypass the UN. Right. We're right. going to support not just Turkey and Greece, but anyone who, anyone who wants us to get involved, we're going to yeah. get involved.
1: Um. Britain is no longer able to play by old-school power politics, and America thinks it needs to start playing old-school power politics. So you're right. You're absolutely right, though. One is not even thinking about going to the UN, and the Americans, when they're asked, don't go to the UN. They're like, okay, this is up to us. But you're absolutely right. Why is it up to the United States? Because Britain asked us to?
2: Mm. I don't have an answer for the uh, to the no, question no. other than Truman and and uh, his inner circle didn't really take the UN seriously from the very get go yeah. from the very beginning the UN after FDR died the UN just got treated as somebody's uh, retarded step brother no, no. you know it's no. like we're just gonna. Yeah, we're going to put him out on the porch right. uh, with a banjo Play some music. and <laughs> <laughs> a bottle an of air moonshine. Air. Yeah, 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 Suspectors. and pretend pre- pretend he doesn't. He's not really like if we need him, he's there. He's there. We can call upon him if we need yeah. moral hey boy. justification for something. Right. But uh, the rest of the time, we'll just leave we'll him chained ourselves. to the porch. <laughs> um, here's some of the key phrases from. Yeah. Truman's uh, speech I believe that it must be the policy of the United States to support free peoples who are resisting attempted subjugation by armed minorities or by outside pressures Ooh. I believe that we must assist free peoples to by the way I hope you're playing free people's bingo at home uh, <laughs> if you get if you get three free people's yeah. uh, drink oh. it's the Say, the, free think people's think. Drink, <laughs> the free people's drinking game. Um, I believe that we must assist free peoples to work out their own destinies in their own way. I believe that our help should be primarily through economic and financial aid, which is essential to economic stability and orderly political processes.
1: Uh, we're trying to buy our way out of actually having to go over there and do it ourselves.
2: Now, he talks about uh, people who are resisting subjugation by armed minorities. What about the free peoples who are resisting armed majorities (laughs) is what I want to know.
1: Right? Can't they work it out? I mean, does there have to be killing? But
2: Like, if you have a minority in a place that's being oppressed by a majority, Mm -hmm. do they not get
1: help? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Is it just the, the, the minorities that are the... Anyway. Can
1: the minorities go to the United Nations?
2: Like the free peoples of Palestine. What happened to them? Uh, uh, yeah. We don't want to see anyone oppressing free peoples unless they're Palestinians, in which case fucking have at it. Um, give the Jews whatever they want. Yeah. <clears throat> oh. Now, in the speech, as I said, Truman never mentions the Soviets by name, but he hints at them. He mentions Yalta. He mentions Totalian regimes. Totalian? Totalitarian? Uh-huh. Too many totators. Totalitarian regimes. So the Soviets have already, by March of 1947, even publicly now, gone from being allies, valuable allies uh in World War II mm-hmm. to the boogeyman who's wow. going to try and take over Europe, if not the world
1: and, and that's the point I think you were you were alluding to earlier when um, when Truman has to scare the the hell out of Americans, you need a boogeyman for that. so uh, boom, whether they want want the job or not, it sounds like the USSR has been signed up for that role for Truman's purposes.
2: Yeah, building on top of Churchill's Iron Curtain speech. Yeah. Now, uh, please note that here we have Truman in 1947 referring to the Soviets as a totalitarian regime. Mm -hmm. Now, when people are getting into like socialism versus capitalism discussions with people, they will often point to the USSR and say, look, socialism doesn't work. And I say, look, that actually wasn't socialism or communism. It was totalitarianism. Right. Uh, And Truman's backing me up here. He's already referring to them as a totalitarian regime. People seem to think that socialism has to be totalitarian, which is, of course, nonsense. Right. Australia has a form of socialism. Democratic socialism we, we refer to it as social democracy but they 're relatively interchangeable um, so, so like uh, depending on how you want to define it democratic socialism is usually hardcore socialism mm-hmm. where uh, the people control the means of production but it's it 's a democracy social democracy is where you 're not hardcore social socialist you still have free enterprise and and capital is in the hand of individuals, but with a heavy degree of socialism factored into it to spread some of the wealth around uh, to the, the wider population. One of our two major political parties in this country, the ALP, actually refers to itself as a democratic socialist party.
1: Ah. Hmm.
2: Um, Finland is a social democracy, Sweden's a social democracy, and none of these countries have totalitarian governments. Right. So. You know socialism and democracy can go together. Just just remember that socialism does yeah. not require totalitarianism theoretically. now, there have been places in particularly in the twentieth century where the 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 usually armed revolutionaries who took over the country from uber right wing governments or or monarchies tried to implement a version of socialism and decided the only way to do that was to form a totalitarian government to force through the changes. Uh, the problems inherent in those countries uh, quite often have to do with the totalitarian nature of the government, not the, the, you know, the, the underlying socialist theory that they piecemeal picked and, 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 and uh, borrowed from. And used to justify, in many cases, the totalitarianism. Um, So I just want to make that point that here Truman is already referring to them as totalitarian.
1: And I I found this out when I was doing search for the show, going back to the um, to the Clark Clifford and George Elsie. Uh, Report, the 82 uh, page report, American Relations with the Soviet Union. What the Truman speech was, was pretty much taken from that document. It's basically um, Truman's adopted version of it because he has, because in that report it says, it recommends that the U.S. institute a policy to support free peoples who are resisting attempted subjugation by armed minorities or by outside pressures. So Truman gets this report, no one else sees it but him, and obviously the two men who wrote it, and he uses that as the basis for the Truman document. So he knew exactly what he wanted to do, he already had the wording, he already had it thought out, and now that he's got George Marshall with his, with his preeminence uh, backing him, he puts this thing forward, and because he... Like you said, he doesn't go too far. He doesn't mention the Soviet Union. He, he doesn't mention them wanting to take over the world. This, this speech is received very well.
2: And there's a good reason it was received very well. It's because it's really just a, a rehash of Churchill's We Will Fight Them on the Beaches <laughs> speech. <laughs> I worked this out. He really just took Churchill's speech and he went, We will fight them on the beaches of other countries. <laughs> Even if they don't want us to, we will be there. We will fight them on the streets of other countries. And we might just stay. Basically, it's the we will fight them on the beaches. We will go everywhere in the world and build bases and fight them. Uh, Basically the same speech. He goes, well, that worked for Churchill. Maybe
1: it'll uh, work for me as well. Yeah. And and, and when I was listening to his speech on YouTube, I mean some of the wording, some of the phrases just just were perfect for the for the American ear. Like this, parts of the speech were just as American as apple pie. We will help people find their own path. You know, I'm thinking not unlike the American mm-hmm. Revolution, we, we want, when we wanted it to be our own uh, country. And of course, every American thinks that, why wouldn't a country want to fight for its independence so then it can be a democracy just like us? And then there's a line in, in the speech where it says, we are the leaders, which... Totally feeds into the American ego. And ultimately, I think you might have covered this in the speech. He says, we are doing this ultimately to save ourselves so we can help these people from the bad guys. That makes us the good guys. No one can do it but us because we're special. And at the end of the day, we're saving ourselves. So this is this is perfectly suited for an American audience.
2: Yeah, it was very well written. I'm sure Churchill didn't write it himself, but uh, very well Truman. written. Um, Oh fuck, Truman! Yeah, he did actually. <laughs> Churchill did write it, and he said it over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, yes, now how did the Soviets respond to the speech? Well, six days later, Nikolai Novikov, who had gone back to Moscow from Washington so he could take part in a meeting of the Council of Foreign Ministers, discussed Truman's speech with Molotov. Mm-mm. He said the speech showed that the United Nations would support reactionary regimes in those countries where they existed and would try to undermine the progressive regimes of Eastern Europe. Wow. So so
1: Molotov was just put on notice.
2: Yeah, but, I mean, so the point I want to make here is... So the way that Truman pitches it to the American peoples is... We're going to fight for freedom around the world mm-hmm. um, by stopping small groups of people from having a revolution like the American Revolution.
1: <laughs> it's okay um, when we do it. Did I not make that yeah. clear? Yeah. yeah. So, oh, whoa, whoa,
2: whoa, whoa! Didn't weren't you a small group of people who overthrew? Yeah, but uh, yeah, but yeah, exactly. By God. But like. <laughs> Who's white? Yeah, yeah. So, from the Soviet perspective, there in these countries, there are small groups of people who are trying to overthrow corrupt autocracies, monarchies, etc., right-wing governments. Right, and the United States has just said, "No, we're going to crush. We're going to crush those revolutionary uh, uh, groups and support the reactionary regimes." Uh, in all of these countries of Eastern Europe. Wow.
1: Now, th- this part, um, we- we've said this several times, but we cannot stress it enough. I mean, this is Truman, the President of the United States, pretty much doing an about-face with American foreign policy, uh, uh, tradition, diplomacy. I mean, we are go- we have been staying away out of power politics. Uh, now we're going to jump in feet first. And if you think about it, it was only two years ago, that Americans were thinking, okay, right, the war is over. Let's bring our boys home. Yes, the world's got to calm down. It's got to settle itself down. And yes, we're going to have to help judge and punish the guys who started this. But basically, let's start undoing everything that's been done since 1941. Let's bring our boys back. Let's start looking inward again. Let's start focusing on on our economy because that's the most important thing to us because we all remember the Great Depression. And now Truman's like, no, 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 no. We are going to continue to look, be outward-looking, and we're going to spend money. He's not saying we're going to have to keep troops anywhere anymore, but he's certainly saying we're going to pump money into other countries like we've never done before. But again, because of the way he presented it, it went over well.
2: Yeah, it was they were only at Yalta a couple of years earlier where FDR had said, sorry, when this is over, we're going to have to pull all of our troops out yeah. of Europe, out, of, out Germany of Germany, because we – yeah. <laughs> because we we the american people won't uh, uh uh let us you know keep funding all of this here we are yeah. truman's going no nah, no nah, they will it's okay <laughs> if we scare them enough that's right tell them that the the soviets are coming then they'll let us do it i'm glad you
1: brought up yalta because even fdr said to stalin i can't remember the exact wording he did cuz he they were talking about poland and we know how much of a sore spot poland was for the entire yalta meeting fdr actually mentioned uh polish americans uh in the country and he had to worry about how they would vote but that's not an issue here as far as the um the i guess people in america from turkish descent or greek descent it is not nearly the numbers that it was in poland so that was not a political factor that truman had to worry about and again this is all about political factors
2: and economic facts. And economic we'll facts. Yeah, yeah. We'll get to that. Now, as I said, Novikov uh, talked to Molotov about it, and uh, Novikov wrote in his memoirs that Molotov just smiled and said, The president is trying to imitate us, to turn us at a stroke into obedient little boys, but we don't give a damn. Mm. At the meeting of the Council of Foreign Ministers, we will firmly pursue our principled line. Damn. He's not shaken. He's not shaken. He's shaken but not stirred. No, he's not shaken or stirred. Now, the implications of the Truman Doctrine obviously were enormous. Until 1947, the US had openly criticised countries that played global power politics. Now they're committing themselves to playing it on a global scale. Now, as a political tactic, uh, it was important for Truman, as we've, we've mentioned on the last episode as well, that the Republicans had just uh, won uh, both houses mm-hmm. in the midterms, um, and the, partly they were talking about ge- doing this, by talking about getting tough with the Soviets. Now, there were some that were still isolationists They were saying, no, we shouldn't be involved." Um, others were saying that we need to get tough with it. Right. Um, and uh, Truman was trying to counter that by trying to appear tough. Mm-hmm. We're going to gonna go there, we're going to take the war to these guys. So the bill where he was asking for $400 million in the oh. short term to support Greece and Turkey, and not just money, he did say uh, in his speech, in addition to funds, I asked the Congress to authorise the detail of American civilian and military personnel Mm-mm. to Greece and Turkey at the request of those countries to assist in the tasks of reconstruction and for the purpose of supervising the use of such financial and material assistance as may be furnished. So gets approval for that. Um, uh, Easily passes the Senate, 67 votes to 23. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: However, whenever one country gives financial aid to another country, there is almost always a quid pro quo. Right, And the quid pro quo is usually financial Now one quid pro quo here was hypothetical Um, Don't give the Soviets a chance to increase their influence in these two countries Because if they do, we'll probably have to get involved later on And that's going to cost us even more money Like Truman said in his speech World War II cost the country $340 billion. We're only asking for $400 million now. So, oh, you know, that's a, it's it's a drop relative. in the ocean. Yeah. Better to nip it in the bud than have to get involved later on. Um, but according to James Forrestal, who was the Secretary of Defense, by the way, first guy ever to hold that title because mm. Truman invented it. Right. <laughs> He said there was a direct link between the foreign aid to Turkey and Greece and a shortage in critical materials back home in the United States. Mm. Forrestal said that aid to Greece and Turkey wasn't just about containing communism. He said it was a hard and selfish decision. Now, what did he mean by that? Well, he said that 73% of America's imports were raw materials. Right. And 55% of those imports came from areas within the British Empire, mostly in Asia, so mostly India and uh, the the, sort of the bits of uh, the old Ottoman Empire that they controlled uh, and had influence in. So, we put it, so Forrest will put it this way. These raw materials have to come over the seas and a good many have to go through the Mediterranean. That is one reason why the Mediterranean must remain ah, a free highway. Right. So the aid to Turkey and Greece was an investment in keeping the Mediterranean shipping lines open so the US can continue to get the raw materials that are needed.
1: When, when, when.
2: Forrestal uh, told one of his friends, "The only thing that makes impression on me, any impression on me at all is the materials problem when it came to <laughs> Turkey and Greece. God. And the guy he was talking to, a friend of his, observed that the average fellow in this country wasn't aware of the raw materials consideration. Uh, he also said that most people weren't aware that the original draft of the Truman Doctrine speech, Actually, had written in it that Greece and Turkey were areas of great natural resources which must remain accessible to all nations and, not must, and must not be under the exclusive control or domination of any single nation.
1: Ah, oh, I guess that got taken now,
2: out because it would look tacky. That, that got taken out of the final version, yeah. We must support Turkey and Greece because they got a lot of stuff that we want, and uh, if we don't support them, the (laughs) freedom-loving peoples won't be able to sell sell their shit to us (laughs) or ship it to us. So so, give me your money today.
1: I'm glad you brought up the fact that um, civilian and military personnel might end up going to Turkey and or Greece because just four months after the Truman speech, July 20th, 1947, Truman issues the second peacetime military draft in the United States. Uh, And, and of course, one of the reasons was the uh, increased, increased tension with the Soviet Union. The Selective Service System created by the 1940 Act was terminated by that same act in March 31st of 1947. And at first, the original act was allowed to expire in 1947 because it was thought that, yeah, enough people would sign up, we would have enough volunteers to work, you know, to, enough people to uh, take care of a nation's defense. But it turns out that a lot of people weren't signing up, so they needed another draft. So Truman was able to push this through because even though... Truman is obsessed with the budget about not going too far uh, politically, radically, uh, economically. Uh, It is starting to build up. We're suddenly spending $400 million on these two countries. We've got to have the second military draft. So it is ramping up. But Truman thinks that he can still control it because the Soviet threat is sometime in the future. They're going to have to rebuild their country. It's probably going to take them at least 10 years. So the, the Soviet threat is down the line. We should be able to gradually address this thing, but it's already turning out to cost money, and we're going to have to draft more men, which uh, obviously affects uh, more people not, not being in the workforce. So again, this is starting to build up, and I think it starts to take on a life of its own, but Truman thinks he can still handle it and control it.
2: Yeah, and the, the, getting back to the economics, there's also the threat of um, the the impact of a uh, depressed European economy on, on the American economy. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that wasn't going to have a huge immediate impact either. Like Truman officials in mid-1947 weren't arguing that Sending aid to Turkey and Greece was absolutely required to head off a recession. But they did stress that Mm long-term, if they didn't um, support the European economy, it could have consequences to the American economy. Uh. For example, in November 1947, the Council of Economic Advisers predicted an $8 decline in exports... Unless there was a foreign aid program to Europe. Right. Now, can you guess what the total uh, exports from the US to Europe were in 1946?
1: Um, no idea. No.
2: 14 billion. Whoa. So 8 billion out of 14 billion. Oh my God. Is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> now, The economic advisor said losing $8 billion would not, quote, inflict serious short-run damage on our economy, Mm -hmm. but substantial problems of readjustment would be generated. So, look, it's going to hurt, but we'll cope.
0: Right.
2: Back to the quote, Moreover, the industrial paralysis which could be expected to result in some other countries would have repercussions of major proportion upon our own economy and upon world stability. So that money getting pulled out of both our economies and other economies around the world could start a chain reaction mm-hmm. that would have a serious effect on our own economy. Right. So if you take the Council of Economic Advisors stuff on declines in exports and if you take uh, the, the forestal stuff around shipping lanes and natural resources in the first part of the the first draft of the Truman Doctrine speech, you start to see that the, the aid to Turkey and Greece, and this plays, of course, into the Marshall Plan a little bit later on, isn't about just being nice. Right. And supporting the freedom-loving <laughs> peoples of the world. It has hard economic yeah. justification for it. Uh, we, we we need to get their economy up and running as quickly as possible So we can keep selling them shit and buying shit and shipping shit through their sea lanes.
1: Now, again, I I think we should just stop for a second and say, does it come down to economics? Yes. Is that tacky? I don't know. That's a personal opinion. But this is not this is not good or bad or evil or whatever. This is just what nations do. America is looking out for itself by keeping the overall world economy humming along so we can keep our economy going. Um, obviously, there's ways to overstep your bounds and to force other countries to take your stuff and maybe ins- instead of someone else's. But when America comes out of World War II and we're obsessed with making sure we don't go through another Great Depression, that's not good or bad or evil or whatever. That's just what nations do. And that's what Truman is doing. And obviously, if he can do it, take credit for it and get elected and keep his party in power, I think that's the end all be all of a politician's life. And that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to keep this going and get credit for it.
2: So let me ask you this, if it's not bad, why isn't he being open about these reasons in his Truman Doctrine speech?
1: I think it's tacky, but the point is, he's got to sell this, like you were saying earlier, and in order to sell it, you have to consider your audience, which is um, all these uh, Democrats and Republicans and, and the lawmakers who, uh, again, they're on their own, they're going to want to get reelected. So you put it in terms that the American people can get behind, and if the American people get behind it, those people people in Congress better get behind it, too. Now, uh, Henry Cabot Lodge was behind this. He supported the Truman Bill. And because there was no vice president at the time, he was the Senate pro tem, which means he was the one who was giving a nod. He had a lot of power and influence in the Senate. And so once Truman got him on board, it's going to pass the Senate. But he had to give his cell speech first to Congress in general. It's just part of the game.
2: Get back to my question. Yeah. So why isn't he being open about it? You think just because it's tacky?
1: You, I mean, if you, if you really need something to pass, and this is going to be a major um, foreign policy change, or, do you want to mention economics or do you want to mention free-loving peoples? That shit just sounds good. It's going to be in the history books. It makes you sound like a fucking rock, rock star. Why just settle for economics when you can mention a loftier goal that sounds better?
2: Okay, but let's 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 unpick it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, who's going to be putting up the four hundred million dollars to of of aid to Turkey and Greece?
1: I am, and all the other Americans.
2: Right, it's going to come out of the federal treasury, right. as we've explored in our economics episodes on this. Mm-hmm. Most of that money, most of the money in the U.S. Treasury, comes from individual taxpayers. Some of it comes from corporate taxes. Most of it comes from yeah. Uh, Individual taxpayers. Yeah. So the taxpayers are putting their money up. Instead of using that money to build hospitals and roads and schools Mm -hmm. and things like that, they are giving it to these countries. Now, okay, we're giving it to these countries uh, for largely economic reasons. Right. So we can continue to export stuff to them.
1: Which creates jobs.
2: Who's, Who's exporting the things to them?
1: Businesses.
2: Businesses. Who makes the profit from those business exports?
1: Business owners.
2: Stock business owners. owners. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So this is what we refer to as the uh, socialization of costs and the privatization of profits. So, again, it's like funding the war in Iraq. Um, public, the public put up the money to run the war, Private contractors take that money because mm-hmm. it goes from the people to the treasury, from the treasury to the Pentagon, from the Pentagon to businesses right. who sell weapons and computers and shoes and clothing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and and you know hire people, private contractors, to go and do all this stuff, who make profits. Yes, yeah, some of it goes back to the people in terms of not, jobs not and, and, and taxes into the treasury, but not much. Yeah. Most of it goes into making a few guys rich, um, and that's one of the reasons they don't like to talk about the <laughs> economics. I think is because Tucky. somebody's going to go, hey, "Hey, hold on a second, yeah. you're taking our money to make these guys rich, yeah, but you'll get well, a job." Well, yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Well, you might. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And look at strong economy is good for everyone, right? Yeah, but better for some. Exactly. So, <laughs> better for some. Not that I'm trying
1: to cut you off, but I have a follow-up question. I think we talked in the not the last episode, but two episodes ago when we mentioned that America gave a loan to Britain uh 3.75 billion dollars. And of course the thing was um we need to keep Britain strong. They're our ally. They'll convert their pound to U.S. currency uh, during the transaction so it's better for us. But here's my question because I, I, I'm not going to even pretend to be an economist. But if we loan Britain seven point five billion, uh, excuse me, $3.75 billion, I'm assuming they're going to pay back over some amount of time. So we get our money back. But we give them money. They buy goods. Americans have jobs. American salaries are taxed. And I guess there's export tax or whatever. So are we eventually, if everything works out perfectly, getting more back than what we loaned? As long as everything works perfectly. I mean... Is it, is it a gift? I mean, when we give uh, Britain this almost $4 billion, I'm assuming that they do, legitimate, do legitimately pay it back, and it's not just here to help you get back on your feet. I mean, it just seems like a, an awful gamble with our money, not that we have any say or control over this decision to give them that much money.
2: Yeah, when did Britain pay back their World War II loans? 2006 so 12, 12 years ago, Britain okay. settled its World War II debts to the US and Canada. Thank you. 2006. Okay so it um, does pay
1: off a couple yeah. of decades later
2: Yeah it was uh, they paid back nearly double okay. the money that they were loaned over uh, what's that uh, 50odd years.
1: Yeah. Is that a good deal? You paid double, uh, but you got 50 years to pay it off.
2: Yeah. two percent and two percent annual interest. Okay. They were uh charged for it, which is pretty low interest rate, yeah. I think. Yeah, the way things go. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, yes, but what else could the US have done with that money in that time? And you look at all the trickle down effects of a strong economy in the UK and all that kind of stuff. It's it's complicated. Yes. I'm sure it's not. Right. It's not very simple. But by getting back to 1947, do you know what the income tax rates were mm. uh, in the US in 1946? Tell me. For somebody earning uh, twenty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Uh, single person uh, they were paying 56% income tax Uh, if you earned $38,000 you were paying 69% income tax if you were earning $100,000 you were paying 89% income tax and the top tax bracket was $200,000 and over you were paying 91% income tax
1: what happened I guess we'll get to that. Oh, my God.
2: That's you a- didn't know about that? People used to pay tax in the United States. <laughs>
1: now I hire an accountant to avoid paying tax. I pay her, but I try not to pay tax.
2: Wow. Mm. Well, they they it used to be... Uh, I mean, I'm sure people still did that then. People but, ponied
1: know. up. People ponied up.
2: Yeah, and, and I don't think they complained too much about it. No. Um Looking at the corporate tax rates uh, back then were, uh, I don't have the data in front of me, pretty low, I think, right. um, though, the corporate tax rates. Anywho, um, so getting back to the fear here, the the building the fear. Right. Um, now, Truman had started to come to the realisation that If he wanted to get domestic political leverage Mm -hmm. uh, from the whole Soviet thing, he didn't actually need to wait for the Soviets to give him a reason. (laughs) He could get ahead of it. What?
1: What? You are not my enemy yet, but I'm going to treat you like my enemy so it pays off for me during the elections.
2: Yeah, you (laughs) haven't actually done anything yet, but you probably will, so I'm going to tell people that you will, and then, you know... I hope you do it's a bit it's a, it's a bit like the Y2K thing right you yeah. say the world's going to end in the year 2000 because all of this computer code's right. wrong give us a trillion dollars and we might be able to stave it off you give them the trillion dollars and then New Year's Eve comes and nothing happens you get nothing happens well wow. yeah but that was because we fixed Money it all well spent, my friend like, yeah like <laughs> you're very lucky you're welcome <laughs> you're welcome everybody tip? can I get a tip yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, so in uh, late in 1947, Clifford and um, one of FDR's old aides, James Rowe, wrote a long memo to Truman that mapped out how to turn a potential future war against the Soviets into political gold.
1: Now, j- just before you go on, when I read this, I was disgusted. This is one of those moments in history that should be blared from the rooftops Pull back, pull back all the shit, the bullshit that, that we've been told for decades as a country and our noble cause and, and keeping back the uh, the Russians or whatever. When I read this, I was like, oh, my God, just blatant government bullshit manipulation lying to us. And this kind of stuff should be emphasized in, in high school. And I'm going to get off my soapbox now.
2: Why? That's why we do this yeah, podcast. So we I'm have glad a soapbox. Somebody's man. doing it.
1: I'm, glad. I'm just just like just blatantly put it out there. Like you were saying, you haven't done anything to me yet, but that doesn't mean I can't treat you like an enemy and scare the shit out of the people that I'm supposed to be leading.
2: So Clifford and Rowe wrote this memo, and they said, "Look, relationship our relationship with the USSR isn't very good, and and it's and it's not going to get any better. Yeah. Let's. I think we can all agree on that. We're not going to help it." Um, It's going to be uh, a key policy issue in the upcoming presidential campaign. Mm -hmm. So let's assume things are going to get worse uh, in terms of our relationship with the Soviets and let's use that to strengthen your domestic political position. Oh, God. Uh, Part of their memo they wrote, there is considerable political advantage in the administration in its battle with the Kremlin. The worse matters get the more there is a sense of crisis. In times of crisis, the American citizen tends to back up his president. So it's pretty obvious what they're saying. If Truman can ramp up the fear about the Soviets, irrespective of what the Soviets are actually (laughs) doing... It's going to help his yeah. chances in the upcoming presidential election. You're,
1: you're right, because it's not like they can make Stalin do or say something extreme or radical before the election, but they don't need to wait. They have their own, their own uh, press corps. They have the newspapers that generally support them. I mean, they can do it all on their own. They don't even need Stalin for this.
2: Yeah. So... In the in the nineteen forty six midterms, as as we said, um, the Red Scare had been a big component of particularly the Republicans mm-hmm. uh, campaigning, and they managed to take control of the both of both houses for the first time since nineteen twenty eight, um, and they were spouting a whole bunch of anti communist rhetoric, a lot of red baiting in their campaigns. They made anti-communist attacks against Truman and the Democrats. Mm. Here's a good example. The Republican national chairman at the time was a guy called Carol Reese, and he referred to pink puppets in control of the federal bu- bureaucracy.
1: Oh, my God.
2: Which it sounds cute to me, pink puppets. <laughs> yeah. I think the Muppets. Yeah. I think well, it's Miss Piggy. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, not only that, but when when the uh, 1946 midterm elections were were, um, had and the Republicans gained control of both houses, the new group that came in that replaced the old group was even more conservative and even more anti-communist than the guys they replaced. So you're absolutely right. I mean, I think it was Joseph Martin, the new Speaker of the House, who declared open season on the Reds. He said, they should be, they must be removed. And that is how the Republicans got it. And the Democrats said, you know what? Fuck this. We're never going to get caught napping again. This is not going to happen to us. We're going to take a page from their playbook and we're going to do it one better because we've got the president when this election comes around.
2: And this is a couple of years before Joe McCarthy starts yes. his whole yeah. McCarthyist uh, thing. So it's, it's the Red Scare is, is building back up here. Um... Anyone who suggested diplomacy with the Soviets, like Henry Wallace, was accused of appeasement. Right. Um, Anyone who suggested maybe we should sit down and talk, uh, you know, you were just, oh, well, you're just soft on communism. Now, then Truman went after his own people. Two weeks after the Truman Doctrine speech, he established something called the Federal Employee Loyalty Program, or FELP. Uh, Which which was giving government security officials the authorization to screen 3 million federal government employees for any hint of political deviance.
1: It was Executive Order 9835, or I was going to call it Order 666, but this allowed the FBI to research whether the Begin
2: Executive Order 9835.
1: Wipe them out, all of them. So this, this allowed, All of them. This allowed yeah. the FBI to research whether the names of any of their two or three million, excuse me, three million federal employees raised questions about their associations and beliefs, and if any derogatory information was found to fall, and if there was anything found, to follow up with a field investigation. However... And I'm going to stress this, but I feel like I shouldn't. Truman advised the Loyalty Review Board to limit the role of the FBI to avoid what? A witch hunt. His words. To avoid. Do this, but don't go too far. Don't get crazy on me. I just need this to look good for the newspapers. Like, I'm really rooting out the Reds. You know, better dead than Red. But, of course, that's not what happens.
2: Mark supposed to meet me yesterday and he didn't show up. Girl, I will cut him. Girl, yes, I will. You remember what happened last time, right, when he had said he didn't hook up with Tracy and then I had found out he did? Girl, I cut him. Oh, girl, yes, I did, girl. She said, yes, I... Uh, you see me in the middle of a conversation?
1: Don't interrupt, bro. I'm gonna have to call you dad. Welcome to King Burger. what we could do it your way, but don't get crazy. <laughs> That's what I wanted. <laughs> but don't get crazy. That's what Truman bon said.
2: quee-quee. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but don't get crazy. Um, now, the order specified that one criteria they would use to determine that reasonable grounds exist for belief that the person involved is disloyal. Here we go would be if they had membership in, affiliation with or sympathetic association with any organisation determined by the Attorney-General to be totalitarian, fascist, communist or subversive, or advocating or approving the forceful denial of constitutional rights to other persons or seeking to alter the form of government of the United States... By unconstitutional means, and then they said, "Not like the American Revolution. That was good. Yeah, a good- that was a good altering of the form of government by unconstitutional means. But not. not but that's that's yeah. done. Yeah, One and no done. More. We're out Boom. now. No more. No more overthrowing <laughs> governments here. Now <clears throat> I like this membership in. Okay, affiliation with. Okay, or sympathetic association. What is that? If, if you. If you'd said, "Yeah, they're all right," yeah. those, uh, those, 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 yeah. m- you know, uh, civil rights activists—they're not bastards. You're out. <laughs> they go, "Nah, no, nope. you're out." Jesus. Now it wasn't that bad. Hundreds of federal employees were fired. Thousands quit in disgust. Yeah. But out of three million, <laughs> not too, not too bad. I mean, they they didn't go crazy. Let's be right. fair; they didn't go crazy. Well,
1: yeah,
2: but but you- it's it's the. St- it's the start of something. It's ramping up exactly. is what's happening here. Yeah. But, and of course,
1: most cases, no, no evidence of disloyalty was found. The loyalty board's decision was not subject to appeal. So all I have to do is accuse you. You don't get to know your accuser. You might not even know what you're being accused of, but you've got to prove yourself loyal. How fucking abstract is that?
2: Just, um, you say, you get called and you say, look, you need to prove your loyalty. Go kill a comic. <laughs> It's a bit like the mafia. Go kill this guy, then we'll know well, you're loyal. Well,
1: that'd be easy because if someone said that to me, and I'd be like, "Well, I've always considered you a commie. Uh, yeah.
2: Can I kill you? So I, yeah. I, I, I challenge. I, I call you out, sir. <laughs> what evidence do you have? Same amount you have on me. Fuck all. But it's, it's yeah, oh, I'm accusing shit.
1: you. And I do want to say that I don't want to cut you off too soon, but the I wanted to give uh, semi the kind of end result of this. Um, this insane policy. Uh, initially, the DC court, the DC circuit court affirmed the procedures of this executive order in the Bailey versus Richardson in 1950, the Supreme court got a hold of it. And, but it was a tie. So the ruling was allowed to stand in 1955, the Supreme court held in Peters versus hobby that the removal of a, con, uh, of a consultant to the civil service commission by the commission's loyalty review board was invalid but this had very little impact since the uh, loyalty review board was at this point only defending old cases and it had been dismantled by 1953 executive order so they pretty much got away with it by the time the supreme court gets around to saying this is invalid it's pretty much a done deal so you're right it's three million people but when thousands of people quit out of disgust or just because they've been accused and how in the hell do you prove your loyalty it's still um It's Like you said, it's the start of something. Something's coming, and now instead of the anger or the mistrust or whatever going outward, it's now being turned inward, and suddenly everybody has to be to the right of everybody else. Everybody else has to be more patriotic than the next guy. I mean, that is not exactly a way to to live or to run a country.
2: You know what it is, Ray? It's a purge.
1: Ah, beautiful, Mm. beautiful. It is exactly a fucking purge.
2: Exactly. Now they don't get sent to gulags, right? But they get fired. I mean, and that's labelled. not great. Labeled and fired. Uh, imagine you go for you, you apply for another job, and you, they say, "Well, you we used to work for the government, which back in those days was a job for life, right? Yeah. W- why did you leave? Well, I got fired. Why? Because they accused me of being a communist. Uh, but you know, so will you hire me? Like, <laughs> it, 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 it's no. not. You might as well put them in a gulag. Yeah.
1: Life just got really hard <laughs> you, for them.
2: Yeah, you're ruining their lives. Yeah. Now, a couple of weeks later, Truman set up the Agloso, the Attorney General's List of Subversive Organisations. Oh, shit. And it got a lot, of, a lot of publicity in the media, Agloso. It was basically an unofficial blacklist of organisations. Um, I posted a thing on Facebook with a list of some of them. A a bunch of them sounded fairly uh, nondescript. The Youth Activists of America and this kind Mm. of stuff. Um, But apparently had affiliation of some sort with the communists. Right. Um, There was like Negro Associations. The KKK was on there. Um, These weren't like... You know, the American communists there was a whole bunch of maybe you might call them front groups or maybe they were just genuine groups that the communists gave money to. Atolites. Hey, have have some money, yeah. we want to support you, we like what you're doing, like the cut of your jib. <laughs> all of a sudden, boom, you're gone.
1: Wait or if you're
2: God. if you're if you're involved in one of them, you can't work for the federal government is where it's limited to at this stage. Um, but the government didn't release any information on how the list was compiled what the criteria was to put a group on the list um, why they published the list uh, listed organizations weren't given any notice any charges there were no hearings before they ended up on the list it's just if you're on the list you're on the list yeah. don't ask why you're on the list you're yeah. on the list yeah you know you, you why. made the cut you know why yeah. yeah you know why no I don't yes you do. <laughs> So like I have. It's like having an argument with my wife. You know what you did? No, I really. Did. Yes, you do. Admit it. Yeah, admit it. I don't know what I did. <laughs> well, if you don't know, if you don't know what you did, then I'm not going to tell you. That's right. Like, oh
1: fuck. And, and, yeah, and you actually get in more trouble for not knowing what you did. But if, <laughs> if somebody fired me, you know what I would do? I would fucking write my movie script that I'd been thinking about for years, and I would go to Hollywood.
2: Motherfucker, you don't have a job. Where is your movie script?
1: <laughs> that's that's hurtful. Why would and you And every time
2: I ask you to do a little simple thing you go, oh I'm so busy. I can't What? Oh, I'm putting out my World War II Okay. Why do people keep emailing me saying Ray hasn't put out a World War II show? Oh yeah, well, you know. Fine. I'll edit the books. fucking shows. I'm reading books. But so I want a
1: promotion. I, I want a bigger yeah. office.
2: Yeah, uh, a new title. Yes, a bump. So, so yeah. Imagine if Trump came out with something similar today, and <clears throat> a, 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 a list of subversive organizations. Democrats would lose their <laughs> fucking minds. But this was a Democratic <laughs> administration. Yes. yes, that put this out. And
1: and let's be clear, they were doing this so they couldn't be attacked on the right. But if you become what you are fighting or what you fear, is that any better? So we're going to go far to the right so the right, the right can't attack us. Well, fuck all, that's not a victory for the country. That's just a political expedient move that you're making.
2: And, and like a lot of people that were associated with these groups, might have just signed a petition. Ah. Would you like to see uh, more civil rights for the Negroes? Yes, I would. I'll sign my name here. I won't do
1: anything about Uh, it, but I'll sign your document.
2: Yeah. Oh, boom. All of a sudden, you've got a sympathetic association with a communist, an organization that has communist ties because they took some money from somebody. I don't know. Um, Now, thousands and thousands of Americans got caught up in this. Many were persecuted years later hmm. during the McCarthy era. But this is where it started. And it was you know, how these things always start, like um, dismantling of civil rights, civil liberties, is they start quite often, usually small. Right. It's the old first they came for the Jews, right. but I wasn't a Jew thing, right? Trip, trip, trip. Um, well, you know, yeah, there were commies in federal government. Well, we don't want commies in federal government, right? So that's, that doesn't affect me. I don't work for the federal government. I'm not a commie. Yeah. But then it grew over time. Um And and why wouldn't people, even if they knew these organisations had communist ties, why wouldn't they sign up? The The communists, the Soviets, were their allies. Yes. Like five minutes ago. They were the good guys who helped us defeat the Nazis. Right. FDR is saying nice things about Stalin. Churchill's saying nice things about Stalin. Everyone's saying nice things about Stalin. Why wouldn't you, you know, support the commies? Now now you're in the bad books two years later. I do feel for the
1: Americans at the time, because if you think between 1945 and 1947, the head turn that had to have been caused by, like you just said, FDR and Churchill... Say nice things about stalin and to and to go to this to the Truman speech, I mean the American people trying to get on with their lives, they probably don't know what the hell to think, and now their own government is being purged of communist sympathizers so it I'm sure it had to be a very confusing and scary time, and doesn't that benefit the President at the time because he's going to be your law and order guy or he's when the presidential election comes around. Aren't you going to want to support him against the enemy, whoever they may be?
2: We're at war with Oceania, Ray. We've always been at war with (laughs) Oceania. That's how it goes down. People forget. Now, (laughs) have the Soviets attacked America at this juncture, Ray? Yet. Have they said they were going to attack America? Yet, Yet. Okay. They spied on America, and I can understand it. You don't want spies. Yeah. In the ranks of your federal employees. I get that. Yeah. I understand But it.
1: that's not the same thing as war or attacking or invading or
2: threatening yeah. to. Um, and these people, like, they're not getting fired because they have leaked information right. to the Soviets. They're getting fired because they're part of an organisation that has ties to the Soviets. Not because they've done anything illegal. <laughs> right. What they have done is not illegal. They're not being charged. They're not going to jail. Yeah. They're being fired because there's a possibility that... It's the same reason the Japanese were put in internment camps in World War II, right? Yeah. Not because they'd done anything wrong. They were just Japanese. It's just yeah. like, well, you know, you might, right. you might do something, which, so we just need to put you in jail.
1: Which shows you how powerful an executive order can be, and that's just one person's name on a document.
2: Hmm. Now, the KKK were on the list and they hated the communists more than anybody. (laughs) What? So I don't know (laughs) how that fits into it.
1: Oh, God.
2: Okay, but for the moment, being in one of these groups didn't automatically mean you were going to be in trouble. It just meant that you were going to be investigated. Right. However, in his 1991 memoir, Clark Clifford, Mm -hmm. said that his greatest regret after decades working for the government was his failure to make more of an effort to kill the loyalty program at its inception wow. in 1946-47. Mm,
1: is he trying to get a free pass? Is he? Do you, I mean, because you can say whatever you want near the end of your career, but I would like to think he's sincere.
2: I would like to as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if if, if you're not to see you just do what Truman did with the bombing of Japan and you double down on it, you go, no, fuck it, it was the right decision then as the right decision, now I stick with yeah. it to my dying day. Yeah. Um But Clifford said that neither he nor Truman at the time viewed communist infiltration of the federal government as a serious issue.
1: Yeah. There's no
2: panic. But uh-huh. he said that Truman was weakened by the 1946 midterms And that gave Hoover, J. Edgar Hoover, the FBI director, and his allies, the hard right-wingers, the opportunity to start to force some of these things down Truman's throat. Jeez. So (laughs) because Truman couldn't be tough with Hoover, he had to be tough on the communists in the federal government. Yeah. Now, rather than saying something about the irrationality of the charges of being soft on communism or or about subversion of the federal government, the Truman administration instead decided to expropriate the issue, Mm -hmm. get on top of it, absorb it, make it their own. Uh, Uh, The same way they they were doing it in terms of foreign affairs, rather than be accused of being weak on communists in their own ranks they decided to go fuck it we'll we'll take it and we'll run with it we, you you want to see tough yeah. we, we we can be tough, I'll you tough. on our own people yeah. yeah but
1: you better fucking vote for me you no know, but yeah to silence the criticism from the right
2: and this is how governments supposedly on the left in all of our countries have slowly moved to the right mm. over the last 60, 70 years. By trying to avoid criticism because of the fear that that criticism would, would damage their election hopes, they have moved increasingly to the right because they can't apparently put up a rational argument yeah. against these sorts of things. It's easier just to get on get on the front foot with it and come out against it because they don't apparently have any sort of moral compass. So the issue was legitimised then. Uh, You know, if the Democrats under Truman had gone, look, this is all hysteria and craziness, shut the fuck up. Like, we've done a study. These people are fine. Yeah, they sign a thing, but, no, you know, they're not advocating for the overthrow of the the government. They're just, uh, they care about civil rights. They care about... Uh, redistribution of wealth. Uh, you know they're not big fans of capitalism. That's okay. It's a free country. It's
1: a, yeah, it's their fucking. Rights. It's a free country. Yes, we're the
2: land of freedom: freedom of speech, freedom of, of thought, freedom of exp- <laughs> freedom of expression. Uh, no, rather than do that, they legitimise the issue. Right. And uh, then it just sort of, you know, got ridiculous, got picked up and went ridiculous.
1: But as you just said, I mean, it starts here, but as you just said, for the next, what, seven, whatever decades, the liberals are going to be paying for it by having to not be, um, you know, because Truman's already set the standard. They're going to keep giving in over the decades and, and, and inch to the right, and then you wonder what the hell's going on. But it started here. And
2: of course,. When they move an inch to the right, the right, the people on the right have to move an inch. To the have end. to move as well to to maintain Fuck. some sort of differentiator. Fuck. So that's so then you end up with you know fucknucks like McCain <laughs> 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 legitimizing the Tea Party by making Sarah Palin his running mate. Like I right. like the news this week that she wasn't invited. Uh, he left specific instructions right. not to invite her to his funeral. He was happy to invite her into the fucking White House. But
1: not his
2: funeral. But not to his funeral. His funeral oh. is more special <laughs> to him than the White House, John McCain. I've, I've already started a list of
1: people not allowed to come to my funeral.
2: <laughs> am i on that list
1: you're at the, the top buddy you're the top. you're the top wow big bold
2: wow that's letters, capital that's, yeah <laughs> fucking riley don't invite him i look like, quite honestly i wouldn't have come anyway what? so you don't need to put it on your no. list i didn't even go to my own father's funeral you think i'm going to go to your funeral I don't do funerals. You're dead, I you're, dead. What, what, you're dead. You're dead, you're dead. That's very I, profound. You're not, you're not going to know if I'm there or not, so... <laughs> just just does tell it does it matter It's how I look at it.
1: you're going to be... Okay, all right, I'll have to take your name off of
2: this. <clears> Anyway. So, it was legitimised. Now, I just want to wrap up with this. So, it looks like at this juncture, from from an American perspective, the idea of using diplomacy with the Soviets has gone out the window.
1: Right. Don't even It's try. dead. Yeah. There's,
2: <clears throat> exactly. There's not going to be any diplomacy. We're at weak. war now.
1: Right. Right.
2: Yeah, we're at war. We, we're in terms of the mindset of America. We're yeah. at war with the Soviets. Yeah. Soviets have done nothing, but we're at war with them anyway. Because maybe they will do something. And we're going to win. And we've got to be ready. Right. Got to be ready for that. Right. Could come at any time, right. like a th- like Jesus <laughs> and 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 the fucking second coming. Got to be ready. Right. Don't want to be a bridesmaid I'm without the oil for the Russians in your I'm land. I'm ready
1: for Jesus. I am ready.
2: <laughs> now, not everyone was happy about that. Henry Wallace, uh, after he'd been fired by Truman, used it as the main platform for his 1948 run of the White House. Yeah. Obviously, didn't succeed. No. Um, and the guy who we will talk about more in the next episode who did argue quite vehemently against this, was the right-leaning influential journalist, one of the fathers of modern propaganda, Walter Lippmann. Right. He wrote a series of articles, turned into a book called The Cold War. Mm. Uh, He wrote that Moscow had genuine security fears. They were motivated primarily by defensive concerns to prevent another German-like power invading their country, um, things that we've talked about on, on the show many times. And, and he said it distressed him that the Truman administration seemed blind to the yeah. reality of this and blind to the possibility of negotiating with the Kremlin about all of these issues. Um, but his articles were built on top of were a rebuttal to one of the most famous articles uh, of this era that published, it was published around this time. Our old mate George Kennan, aka Keenan Thompson, uh, <laughs> published his famous X article. But that we'll have to leave for next episode because we're over time. I do want to read some reviews and uh, thank some people. No, no reviews. It was a negative review that was kind of funny. Um, <laughs> you know, I love our mm-hmm. negative reviews, Ray. Oh, they yeah. tickle me pink quite often. Uh, let's right see spot. if I can dig this one up. Um, an American listener wrote a review, it's quite lengthy. Uh, and I, so wow. I want to read the whole thing, but he does uh, this is the bit that I liked. Um, <laughs> uh what is disappointing is that cam and ray are clearly not historical experts really and that and what they know they apparently got as a result of reading books before the podcast well duh no No, you don't say i am shocked that there is gambling going on in this establishment i'm shocked that
1: there's reading going on in this podcast
2: Yes. Yes. No. We have read some books, and that's how we put together our notes but, for the stories. I'm listen. If anyone out there is under the uh, <laughs> illusion <laughs> yeah. that we a are experts on the Cold War, or b are trying to position ourselves uh, as experts on the Cold War wow. or on anything for them. that matter, yes. yeah. Uh, eating pussy is about the only thing that I claim to be an expert at. Yeah. Um I've got a degree, (laughs) I've got a master's in that. Everything else. Right. No, we listen. (laughs) 92 episodes are maybe a bit late to tell you this, but (laughs) (laughs) what we do is we read a bunch of books and then we have a conversation about it and try and share it with you what we've learnt. That's it. Yeah. That's all we're doing. Well,
1: the other part is, if there's a way to learn history without reading books, I would fucking love that, because this takes up a lot of fucking time. So if that guy knows of another way to take all this information <laughs> in without reading, I sign me up. I will do that podcast.
2: This guy's uh, name is Schmidster13. Schmidster. 13.
1: Schmidster. Um,
2: he, says it's dis- he says it's disappointing on substance. Motherfucker, we did 25 hours on the Yalta Conference. If that's disappointing on substance... But- the, the other rebuttal anyway. is, if we use books
1: by noted <laughs> specialists, uh, historians, yeah. PhDs, yeah. experts, what more f- can we fucking do besides build a TARDIS and go back and view the events ourselves?
2: Yeah. Anyway. Uh, funny. Anyway. Um, oh, his last sentence is, if you don't mind meandering tangents or a shameless bias with little in terms of content then this podcast is otherwise <laughs> very good. <laughs>
1: but, but our tangents are our strong point, I thought. No? Uh, anyway,
2: it's anyway. funny. Okay. Funny, funny, funny. Thank you for the laughs. Um, we'll be back uh, next week with the X article and uh, Walter Lippmann's rebuttal.